Good morning. No, I am not Kermit the Frog, but that might be who I sound like this morning. My name is Justin Roberts, and I apologize for my head cold. Um, What Dan said earlier about sharing my story this morning, I hope that you can hear God's story. I hope that, um, and the kids may be dismissed. I had one job, and I messed it up. The kids can be dismissed. I'm sorry about that. Um, Normally, I'm up here with a guitar in front of me. I have something to hide behind, but it's just me this morning. And when Pastor Aaron asked me to speak, uh, I'm not going to lie, my heart fell in my shoe, and uh, I started questioning, why would I speak today? Why would I stand before all of you and share this? Today, we're going to... We're going to jump into the New Testament, the book of James. And over the past month, we've been talking about the Father's heart. We've been looking at things that possibly break his heart, and we've been coming to know him on a deeper level. The attributes of God have been shown to us through different things. This morning, I was asked to speak on orphan care. And before you ignore me for the next 30 minutes and think I'm never going to be an adoptive dad or a foster mom... Orphan care is especially for you. And this morning, and the text will be on the screen behind me, we're going to jump into James chapter 1. Anytime I've ever heard um, a preacher speak on adoption or fostering or any of that sort of thing, they always go to James 1, 27. If you have your Bibles and you could read along with me, verse 27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. There it is. That's the message. That's all we need to know about orphans, right? We're to visit them in their affliction and the widows and to remain unstained from the world. And it's pretty plain. It draws attention to the orphans. It draws attention to the disadvantaged, the people that are in need the most. People without parents. People without no hope or future. I don't know if that's me making that noise, but I'm sorry. But we need to rewind a little bit. As I was studying this past month, I've been beginning to think about what an orphan is and what this idea of orphan care really means. Orphan care is more than simply rescuing a child or going to a foreign country and pulling someone out of poverty and bringing them to your rich American home. Orphan care is more than simply filling a void in your life, whether that's through fertility problems or the fact that um, that's how you wanted to grow your family or you see yourself as the savior for this child. Orphan care is about... The gospel. Without the gospel, orphan care doesn't matter. Without the gospel, whether or not you go to Haiti doesn't matter. Whether you're involved in sex trafficking or poverty or the homeless. Without the gospel, it's all meaningless. And at the end of the day, it's simply just charity. It's simply just self Ryan, do I need to do something about the mic? Do you want me to just yell? I can yell. Ask my kids. Verse 22. Let's go back. Is anyone else nervous? (laughs) 
freaking out up here. Okay. No, we're good. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity for us to share in what you would have for us to know about orphan care. But more so, God, may we know that it is about the gospel. It's not about us, but it is about you. It is about an opportunity for us to reach a lost and dying world for your kingdom. May the people of this congregation not see me stumbling over words or the imperfect human that I am, but I pray that they'll see your heart today, that you'll see your love for this ministry. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. They gave me a little clicker. It's kind of cool. There are 1.8 billion people in the world that do not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, depending on the statistics you find online, it can be a little, you know, it can vary from here to there. But being a visual guy, I found a map that highlighted the country of the United States and the country of India. If you think of India, there's tons of people there and you guys live here, so you get it. There's a lot of us. The number of people in the United States and the number of India, that's the number of people on the planet Earth that do not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that should be significant to us. That's a big percentage. There's 7.5 billion people in the world and a big chunk of them don't know what we know. The gospel is not about Justin. It's not about me. It's not about what I do. The gospel is about God. God and his all-powerful, mighty righteousness saw fit to love a broken, sinful creation like me. And God doesn't align with sin, and I am sin. The gospel is the news. It's good news about a heavenly father that we've learned about this month that loves. You were created in his image. You experience love. You experience human desires. God has desires to be in relationship with you and me. So let's get that straight. The gospel is not about me. Whether or not I serve God, he's still God. Whether or not I walk towards him or away from him, he's still God yesterday, today, and forever. It's not about us. But the good news is the gospel is for us. God knew in his holy, righteous way that he would not align with sin, so a punishment had to be made or given A sacrifice. And the way he restored that relationship with you and me is through Jesus Christ. 
1.8 billion people don't know anything about Jesus Christ. Imagine a life where you go through heartache and torment, trial, divorce, loss of a child, and you don't have a Savior to look towards or to count on. The gospel is about the news of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel means. It means news. Picture in your mind back in the early 1900s before the internet when you had this little boy and he had that weird hat and he's on every movie and he's saying, extra, extra, read all about it. He's trying to get your attention. Something on this newspaper is of value for you to know. Titanic sunk, we go to war, plague breaks out, whatever it is. The news was meant to be spread. The news was meant to grab our attention and to be taken with us. Because if you don't do something with it, it's just a piece of paper on a page or a book on a shelf. The gospel is important. The gospel is about the cross. It's about the sacrifice. You know, we took communion today. I thought it was awesomely appropriate because I'm thinking of the night before he was betrayed. Here he is praying, God, take this cup from me. The cup of wrath. Jesus wasn't worried about three nails. He wasn't worried about a splintery board on his back. He wasn't worried about the cat of nine tails. As a human, yes, he was probably, this is going to really hurt and destroy my body. But on his mind was you and me and the weight of our sin. The cup of wrath that God laid out on his life. There was a lot of people that have been crucified for the cause of Christ. And you'll, you'll read stories of how they're singing right up to the end. Jesus was carrying more than just physical pain that day. He was carrying the weight of Justin's messed up life. The weight of my sin lay heavy on his shoulders. This message today is probably going to be heavy. Where's the orphan part? We're not there yet. The gospel is about grace. It's about that undeserved gift that God has given us. Where he's restored that relationship from a heavenly father to a broken creation. Whereby we can have communion with him. Because of the cause of Christ. The sacrifice. And that was grace. The gospel is about grace. And through that grace. (laughs) Next section. My clicker's not working. The gospel is about hope. You are given this good news of a life in Christ. Yeah, it's not easy. Serving him is hard. But to know that you have a savior to rely on, that when you lean into the hard, Christ leans into us. And we have a hope that when we accept him and we live a life after him, we will spend eternity with him death has lost its sting christ has overcome death that's our story that's our news and are we telling anyone about it or are we simply living our lives and keeping it to ourselves james 122 but be doers of the word ouch i need to do something it says I can't just simply know this stuff. I can't simply keep it to myself. The gospel. You can go to the next slide, that's fine. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. 
This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What does any of that have to do with orphan care? What does the gospel have to do with helping a poor kid that doesn't have any parents? Because that's really what an orphan is, right? The Bible draws close attention to the need. It talks about the most purest form of religion is to serve, is to visit, is to live life with those individuals that may not know the gospel. I will not pretend to be an authority on all things orphan care. Just because I'm the dad of five and three of those children have come to me through adoption, I will not pretend that I have it all figured out. In fact, over the past month, God has shown me in ways where my attitude really stinks when it comes to orphan care. I'm impatient. I want things my way. This is a hard thing to be involved in. It's not easy to be a foster parent. It's not easy to bring someone in with radical attachment disorder or serious health concerns. And I've been kind of going through this idea of what an orphan was. And many of you know, back in December, my mom went to be with the Lord. Many of you reached out to me and visited us in Winchester. And my mom had been really sick. She raised six kids. That's probably what wore out, especially with that last one. She was a great lady. She loved the Lord. And I remember we're standing at at the viewing and my sister Julie and, you know, we're hugging people, we're crying. You've all been to funerals, you know. You're, You're rejoicing, though, because mom knows the Lord and we know where she is. She's in heaven. And I miss her. And there's this hole. There's this void in my life. But I know of the hope that she had in Christ. And I know that she's in a much better place than we are right now. But I remember standing in line and my wife's grandpa, Grandpa Fred, comes walking up and he always has something funny to say. He always has some word of encouragement. He's just a great guy. He always hugs you. And I remember he comes up to us and it was a little bit different this time. He looked at me and he said, Justin, you're an orphan now. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm an orphan now? I'm 35 years old, man. I'm not an orphan. And I looked at my sister and I could tell she got it. He said, you're an orphan now. My dad had went to be with the Lord three years before, and here we stood. The woman that has was at the beginning of my life, here I stood at the end of hers. And that connection between me and the next generation was gone. So it's kind of that mortality feeling there. It's like, well, I'm next in line. I kind of get what he's saying, but I kind of let it go and didn't think about it until I started preparing for this message today. I just began trying to think in my mind, how can you describe what an orphan is in a godly biblical way and i thought here i was 35 years old and i was experiencing loss i was experiencing a hole in my life of the woman that was there at the beginning for me she she was gone 
And maybe just a little bit of that is, is what an actual four-year-old that's lost both their parents in Africa due to AIDS or a six-month-old who's been shaken so bad that he's on epilepsy meds and he can't see. Or maybe that one-year-old who's hair tested positive for meth, or maybe that baby that was dropped off at the hospital where the mom didn't even know she was pregnant, she signed his rights, signed her rights away. Or maybe that little girl sitting seven months old, struggling with pneumonia in a foreign country. Maybe my little pain or my little circumstances a little bit of what they're going through, maybe, I don't know. Am I really able to call myself an orphan? Because in my mind, that's what I thought an orphan was, and that really is what they are. I have no idea what they're going through because I've been given 35 years of the gospel. My mom talked about Jesus all the time. She shared with me who he was and why he was important in my life. She showed me the love of the Savior. In the last few years of her life, she called out to him a lot. She didn't care who was around because, you know, she loved him and she was anxious to see him. But the difference is between me and them is I was given the gospel, basically. And these kids don't have it. Orphan care is about taking the gospel to a child in need, a child in affliction. Visit them. And while you're there, share the gospel with them. This is where orphan care becomes significant. Orphan care is basically a horizontal expression from us due to a vertical relationship with God. Love has been given to us, therefore, let's give it out. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was your orphan life. That was your before Christ life. And then 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. The need for the church to be involved in orphan care is great. Because you've got two views. You've got the world's view and you've got the, the church's view. God has set us up as an instrument to help in this crisis or this need. The world looks at a problem and says, well, let's fix it. But the problem is the world fixes the symptom instead of going after the cause. Because truth be told, the orphan crisis is a sin issue. It's a broken, fallen world issue. It's a need of a savior issue. But the world doesn't have the gospel. So what they do is they create programs. They create college degrees. They pay people to go into the houses of these families that are broken. And what they'll do is they'll say, okay, I'm going to assign you to 40 families and I'm going to burn you out. You're going to become jaded and ineffective. Because it doesn't fix the problem. It fixes the symptom. It doesn't go after the heart of these people. It simply just provides a pillow so that they can land on something soft. It gets that child out of that drug house and into a softer house, but yet it never goes after the parents. You know, when Marcy and I decided that we wanted to be foster parents, I thought I was being set up to be one of the Secret Service 
agents for the president. I mean, the amount of stuff they ask you, it gets really personal. They want to know every fight you've ever had with your spouse. They want to know what you do behind closed doors. They want to know if you have a gun in the house. They want to know how much money you have, what you do, this and that, your religion, all this stuff. But in order to restore a broken family that ended in foster care, they want to make sure you have a job and that the house is somewhat livable. These kids are in situations that the world is just not able to fix. These programs are great, and I, I encourage everyone to consider fostering. Not all of us are equipped to do that. Some of you don't have enough patience. Some of you may look at the Roberts family and say, I don't want anything to do with that. You guys are nuts. Let's be honest. It's a little crazy at my house. Or adoption. You know, these kids come from situations and circumstances where you have no idea the depth of the pain that they're going through. But the other view is the church's view. The church sees the gospel. It knows that when times get hard, when these caseworkers are dealing with hard stuff, that the church can step in and say, hey, where can I help? What can I do? Because we have the gospel. We can lean into Christ when we lean into the hard things. There are 153 million orphans worldwide, according to UNICEF. These numbers are kind of all over the place because some of them look at both parents, some of them look at just one parent. You know, in the United States, when you lose one parent, that may look different than when you're in the depths of Africa losing a parent. But there are 23 million orphans that have no parents and they're living in orphanages or on the streets. I'm just going to read some more data. Nationally, there's 437,000 children in foster care in 2016. 100,000 of them are available for adoption, and they will wait three years. This number really bothered me. 34% are in foster care because their parents are addicts, drug users. Causes include poverty, substance abuse, lack of resources, education, broken relationships, unemployment, the economy. And by 2012, that number had been going down, but something happened in 2012 where the number is just starting to go back up again. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Imagine a family gets a call that they're going to be a foster parent. Let's call them the Robertses. And let's imagine they already have five kids and their life is kind of chaotic, but they really feel like they need to do something because they've seen the need, they've experienced it, and they want to help. But imagine a friend calls and says, hey, I know you just had this foster child placed. Can I do something? Can I, can I bring you something? And what they do is they go up in their attic and they grab a bunch of clothes, throw it in a trash bag, and they take it to the Roberts family, Jamie Hardy. Or imagine, I'm, I'm so emotional. I, was, I have four sisters, so I get a little emotional sometimes. Um, or imagine your car is getting pretty maxed out and you need another car seat, Mitchell and Katie Rigsby. Or imagine you have a six-month-old shaken baby who won't sleep. He just won't sleep. So the foster mom is just holding him and holding him because he can't see and he wants to be held close. He wants to feel safe and secure. So you have 
one of those fancy seats that rock him, a stage family. Or imagine you need to take that baby to the hospital, but you've got five kids. And if you take all those kids to the doctor, that doctor's going to look at you and call them a brood of kids and won't understand, why are you bringing all these kids in here? So to save the doctor a little bit of headache, Wilma Osbrook comes down and watches your kids for you while you take that kid to the doctor. Or imagine the foster dad works, foster mom's watching six kids, and you decide, you know what? I like to eat. I can make food. I'm going to start a meal train, Julie Woodall. I can go to a bunch of people and say, hey, let's get food together and let's take them. And it's just food, right? It's just a car seat. It's just a bag of clothes. It's just babysitting. That's not really that big of a deal, right? But to us, that was hugely impactful. Imagine a dental office where you're a patient and you see these random people just carrying in like, Huge things of food and taking them to the break room. The world will know us by our love. Or will know him, excuse me, by our love. People brought us food. People reached out to us. The family here at South Creek, you already get it whether you know it or not. You're already a part of orphan care whether you know it or not. And someone can't do everything. But everyone can do something. Just do something. How am I doing on time? <laughs> but let me warn you, if you're interested at all in orphan care, if you want to know more about it, we're going to have that luncheon that, that, that Dan mentioned on the 31st. We're going to try really hard to have a DCS worker here, foster family, maybe some adoptive families, try to give you a bunch of perspectives. Because once you see it, You can't unsee it. Once you're involved in it, you can't check that box off and say, well, I did my thing. Because before you know it, you'll be sitting in a room in Bogota, Colombia, in a strange place. Personal story. This is very vulnerable, so if I cry, it is what it is. You all know we have five kids in our last one, we were blessed to bring home from Columbia. And the story goes a little bit like this. Marcy and I are sitting in bed. I'm reading, and she's on her phone, and I'm just zoning out. And all of a sudden, she's like, hey, look at this. And if you know Marcy, it's not uncommon for her to show you a picture of a baby and say, hey, look at this, orphan. Because she's her heart is for it. And I look at the baby. I'm like, oh, it's, it's a cute baby. It's cute. And then I go back and do my own thing. All of a sudden, the bed starts to shake And I look over and my wife, sorry, Marcy, my wife is just crying and she's she's sobbing. And any good husband would know this is an opportunity to pay attention. And I look at her and I say, babe, what's what's wrong? And she's like, I don't know. She's like, there's something about this child. And see, we had been in the process of uh, doing an international adoption. Any of you that have done adoption, it's, it's crazy. The amount of paperwork, the amount of money, the amount of time the worry, the wait, the questions, it's, it's a big process. So we were in the midst of that, and we were waiting on who my kids had called Willow, their new baby sister, that we did not know anything about. We had not met her. We didn't even know if she was born yet. But every time our family would drive and we would see a willow tree on the side of the road, we would pray. And our kids would look, and they would compete on who saw the willow tree first, and we would talk about her and wonder what she'll look like and what she'll be like. 
But Marcy had this overwhelming emotion. And she said, Justin, I really think that we need to inquire about this baby. There were 60 families in our group that were pursuing adoption, 60. And this little girl's criteria did not meet any of our checklists. And that that picture on the left is the one we saw. So we look at that, and we're like, oh, something's wrong with her. She's got tubes on her nose. Babe, this might be this might be bad. She might have something wrong with her, you know? I mean, don't we want a perfect, normal, healthy baby? Ask any new couple that's pregnant, oh, as long as they have ten fingers and ten toes. That's all we care about. Sorry. And yes, I would desire that my child be healthy. But we look at this, and that's the first thing that came to my mind. And we're looking at these pictures, and Marcy's like, I think we need to inquire about her. And I said, okay. <laughs> um, let's, let's talk to the pediatrician that's, you know, the international pediatrician, see what's going on. It says, the parents do not have family support networks. The maternal grandmother of the girl has a special health condition. A decision to adopt out the Down syndrome girl to a family. These parents carried out all the prenatal controls and examinations, but none of these assessments allowed them before the birth to know the special condition of the girl. They report that the clinic explained this condition of the girl with Down syndrome. It was a very difficult situation to assume because they were expecting a normal daughter. This was in the report. And as I'm reading this, I was like, well, yeah, something's wrong with her. She's not normal. We, we need to be concerned. I don't know if this is something we should do. And so we get this email from the, from the caseworker and she says, okay, you have four days to decide whether or not you want to pursue this girl or we'll move on and we'll advocate for someone else. And those next four days were terrible. Because here I am, the dad, I'm the protector. God has asked me to lead this family. And I had so many questions and concerns. And yet my wife, on the other hand, she decided like that, that this daughter was perfect for us. And we knew nothing about her. And I remember day four, and I'm in the shower, and I am crying my eyes out to God because I've got to go to work but I've got to make this decision about whether or not we're going to accept this child with Down syndrome. That's scary. I don't know anything about Down syndrome. I learned a little bit about it in school. But how to live with a child with Down syndrome? Are they going to die at 40 with a heart problem? Are they going to live with me forever? And I remember standing in that shower and I was crying and praying and I said, God, do you ever just get mad and say, answer me. Just tell me what to do. Because I don't know what to do. Because I'm in charge of this family. You put me in, entrusted me to lead them. And here I am. I don't know what to do. And my wife is all for it. But am I going to set us up for something risky? Is it going to be bad? Am I going to regret this? And I've never pretended to act like I've had a burning bush moment where God's like, Justin, do this. Stop eating so much sugar. (laughs) I wish he would say that to me. 
But he said, in my mind, I felt this thought that just raced. It said, trust your wife. And I'm like, well, there it is. Don't doubt that. There's an answer. So I jump out of the shower. I'm excited. I'm soaking wet. I run in the other room. I'm like, babe, what do you want to do? She's like, what do you mean? What do you want to do? I have to decide. She's like, I think we should adopt her. I said, okay, that's what we'll do. She's like, well, how's that so easy? I said, because God said, Justin, trust your wife. And she looked at me and she said, that is not fair. (laughs) If this doesn't work out, I don't want you to resent me or blame me. I said, nope. I've been praying for four days. And for four days, I was saying no. what God had said yes to. I was pushing away the will of God for my life because I knew better. Just like fallen man. That's why God came to give us the gospel, right? Because we don't know better. He's got a much better, much bigger plan. This is a picture of the orphanage in Colombia. Doesn't look scary like those ones you see in Eastern Europe. But it's still an institution. And that room to the right, that's the seat we sat in. And I remember we got in there and everyone's speaking Spanish. And my high school Spanish just didn't cut it. I have no idea what they're saying. And these three little boys, these three little Colombian boys run up to me and they look at me and they're big eyes. And there's hope in their eyes. And they are talking a mile a minute. And I have no idea what they're saying. And I can only imagine what they're thinking this American married couple is over here. Why are they here? Once you see those little boys, you won't unsee them. Once you see the need, it's burnt in there. Once you hear the sounds inside an orphanage, you will always think about it. Marcy was able to share the gospel on the way home. As she sits there with this little baby and a gentleman sitting beside her. What are you doing? She's got all this medical stuff and she's bringing home Willow from Columbia. It's a crazy time. This is four weeks. This is what four weeks of love looks like. This is what orphan care is to me. It's more than that, but this is the most tangible way that I can explain to you what the gospel of Jesus Christ looks like. Willow will know about Jesus. The same way Olive taught me about Jesus. Willow will know about the gospel. She will know about the love of a Savior. Will the mind of a child with Down syndrome be able to comprehend that? I think so. Because if you've ever hung out with one, you're the most easygoing, chillest kids ever. Life is good. And I'm jealous of that filter that she has. But life is hard for Willow. She comes from a lot, separated from a country, brought here. But this is the gospel. And it doesn't matter whether you go to Haiti, whether you are involved in children's ministry or orphan care or what it is. If you don't do it for the right reasons, you shouldn't do it. If you don't do these things, like James has asked us to, to do it instead of just hearing it only, it's self It's trying to fill a void in your life that only Christ can fill. Because the dangerous part is if you don't do it with Christ at the center, then when things don't work out, 
And who are you going to rely on? Because it's not perfect. You're going to spend three years wondering if DCS is going to come in and take your son away. You're going to wonder if the fact that your son is seeing six specialists at the children's hospital, what's going on? Was there some rare syndrome? Are they going to die? You're going to spend your birthday with Willow gasping for breath. Like there's going to be moments where it's going to be really hard. You're going to bring a kid into your house that's full of lice, bed bugs. They're going to cuss you out. They're going to look at you like you're the enemy when you're like, I'm the one helping here. That's all I got. But that first song we sung today was Break My Heart for What Breaks Yours. I want you to spend time in prayer about this. I'm not trying to guilt anybody to go to Columbia and adopt a little girl. Although, remember those three little boys I was talking about? They might still be there. (laughs) You talk to a DCS worker, they'll tell you the need is insane for foster parents. A church of our size, I don't think it would be too much to ask if seven families stepped up and did something. I don't know. I got big goals and aspirations. But I'm so passionate about it, not because it's about me, because I've seen the impact that it's had on my kids, on my wife, and on my life. I've lived a very selfish life. God has shown me things in such a way the past few years that if it wasn't for orphan care, if it wasn't for our fertility problems early in our marriage, if it wasn't for these roadblocks that I saw as something bad, God saw it as something good. I can't imagine my life without this little kid. <laughs> She's so awesome. But it's not about me. I didn't rescue Willow. I didn't save her. I did my part because it's what God asked us to do. And I did it because Willow needs to know the gospel. And I'll finish with this. I told the band not even to come up here because I thought it was going to be long. I'm sorry. I heard a preacher talk about this one time. It meant a lot to me. We were at this adoption thing, and he was just talking about the impact that we can have on these kids' lives. And I imagine standing at the gate of heaven, and let's say you get to hang out with St. Peter, and you get to be the, the greeter at heaven. Okay, And you see the people coming in. You see the joy in their eyes. And imagine if someone walks up to you that you don't know. And they say, you don't know me. But because you did something, I came to know Christ. You don't know me, but your daughter adopted me. Your daughter cared for me in an orphanage. Or your family was so involved in orphan care that my life was impacted and I came to know Christ. We don't save these kids. God saves. It's not about us. It's about Him. But what better instrument to reach a lost and dying world has God created than the church? Gone are the days when you're waiting on Donald Trump to fix your problems. Gone are the days when you think that DCS worker needs to just step it up a little bit. Gone are the days when we can sit back And let the gospel fall short of getting to these people. I love all of you. And I'm sorry this is so heavy, but thanks for listening to me. If you want to stand, maybe we can pray. (laughs) 
I encourage anyone that's interested in this kind of thing to come to the meeting and um, I hope that you can see God's heart for this and maybe my example can make sense of it. Father God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this opportunity for me to be able to spend time with your people. And God, I pray that these words that we read from your scripture can ring true and that we can be doers of the word more than hearers only, that our life can be a life of Christian action, that we can walk towards the hurt instead of away from it, that we can get out of our comfort zone and start doing the uncomfortable For God, we know that everyone can do something for your kingdom. You've created us all in your image. You've given us all the ability to do something. And no little deed goes unseen. Father God, thank you so much for this congregation and for this time we had. Keep us safe as we leave this place. And may we go and have an impact on your world. In Jesus' name, amen.